Thank you for the, to the band for that. That was awesome. Well, good morning. As you're getting settled in, go ahead and open up to First uh, John chapter 2. We're going to be in the book of First John chapter 2 this week. In case you were not able to be here last week, um, we've begun a short series, or a mini-series if you will, on the book of First John. And what I mean by that is we won't do it all year. Um, I think there's five chapters. It's going to take us five weeks. We'll see what happens. But that is, the, that is my intent, okay? The purpose in this study is for preparation of what God's going to do for us over the next year. I'm really excited about the next year. The Lord's been speaking. He's given me vision for our body. And I'm excited to share that with you guys. That won't be today. That's going to be a couple of weeks. Um, but in case you missed last week, uh, please take a minute this week and listen to the podcast from last week so that we're all on the same page. I don't know if it's in the recording or not, but one of the things that we did is we watched the Bible Project's introduction to the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So that's about a 10-minute video. Listen to that and then listen to the podcast. And, um, and then you can get caught up because, as always, these messages are going to build uh, upon one another. And so if you miss a Sunday, you kind of miss out on some of the things that the Lord has for us. Okay? So... A good friend and I were talking this week, and he very accurately said it this way, that this has been a heck of a year this week. I don't know about you guys, but it has been, yeah, that was good, that was David. He's a smart guy, in case you don't know him. Um, I don't know about you, but this week for me has been nuts, um, and I don't really anticipate that changing anytime soon. You know, I used to live in this dream world of thinking that this week is really hard, but next week will be better. And uh, after having lived in that, I've come to the realization that it's not going to get better, Um, it's not going to get easier, but that's where we are, okay? So God is doing all this in us. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But God's doing all this to prepare us. We're going to walk this year through the book of Ecclesiastes. That's where we're going, okay, just to kind of give you a heads up. If you haven't read that book before, it's fantastic. You can get in a little early if you'd like and study that. Um, But the focus of that study is to give us a better perspective on life. One of the things that I've realized over the course of the last year is that I felt like I had a pretty good perspective on what my life needed to look like. And what I've learned is as I'm growing in the Lord, that perspective constantly changes because it's not mine anymore. It's God's perspective on my life, which requires some growth in me. And that's a really good thing. It's things that, that I enjoy and I know that you will enjoy. And as we're, as we're walking through our life and we're growing in God's likeness, the result of that is we're becoming more like Him, right? And that's the goal, not to be more like me, but to be more like Jesus is. And we can all consider, or we think about, the way that Jesus lived life, and we would not characterize that in our culture as a normal life, right? Jesus' life was not normal. And so our expectation should be, if we're growing to be like Him, that ours also will not be normal in terms of how the world sees the way we choose to live life. So last week, we looked at this first chapter in this letter that John is writing to to this church who's experiencing some trouble. Just to recap briefly, what's going on is there are some men in the church who have decided after having been part of this body for a while that they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so not only are they, have they adopted that belief for themselves, but they're trying to convince the other people in the church that Jesus was not the Messiah. And so the, the leaders of that church write to John who helped start that church and said, this is going on, how do we handle it? What do we do? And I think that's a great thing to do, right? So John's intent is to to address what's going on. He's going to warn them of the troubles that are ahead. He's going to remind them of what they know. And then he's going to encourage them to trust the Holy Spirit. And so today as we look at chapter 2, John's John's going to continue in that same theme. And he's going to give some very specific warnings and instructions on how the church is to deal with with that opposition that they're facing. So last week as we went through chapter 1, we talked about how important it is for us to share what God is doing in our life, right? 
and how that encourages one another. It helps the body to understand who Jesus is as we share these experiences that we have. And these men are purposely causing division in the church, and they're leading people away from what God is saying is truth. And we saw that just because someone calls their activity God's activity doesn't mean it's true. And so today we're going to look at some ways that we can examine that activity and know for sure if it's really God or not. Okay? We see that, that um, if the things that people are saying, the things that they're doing, don't align with the Word of God, it's not God. They can call it God, they can pretend it's God, but it's not Him. So today we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to begin at chapter 2. So if you would look at me, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. We'll digest that a little bit and then we'll move forward. He says this, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Would those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love Him? That is how we know we are living in Him. But those who say they live in God should, never live, or should live their lives as Jesus did. So in the previous chapter, John directly addresses the claims that these men are making, that Jesus is not the, that he's not the Messiah. And now he's going to remind the church of what we've, been given, what we've been given in order to deal with the problems that we face in life, which is the Holy Spirit. John's goal in this part of the letter is to help the church to be in fellowship with Christ and to know that He is the light. And that was what we talked about last week. So in this first section, he's giving us a reminder of how we are to stay in fellowship with God. So point number one today is that we live in the light by obeying His commands. We live in the light by obeying His commands. Look, we all sin, right? And we know that. We're aware of it. All of us find ourselves struggling daily with some sin in our life. And unfortunately, it's something that is just going to be around. Until we are made in fullness to be like Jesus, we're going to struggle with it. But Jesus, through His death, has made a provision for us. He's given us a way to have victory. He's the victory. We sang about that this morning. And when we do sin, because it's going to happen, our response always needs to be to run to the Father. And He will be faithful to forgive us. We sang about that as well this morning. If we run to the Father, He will forgive us. The people that are close to us, we've talked about this before, whenever we obey God, it affects them. But the same is true on the opposite side. When we sin and we choose to run from God, that also affects them. And when we share what we're struggling with, when we do that in a group setting, I know that's not a thing that we normally maybe would do, but when we share what we're struggling with in our life, something really interesting happens. Have you ever noticed that when someone maybe in your life group shares with you a struggle that's going on in their life, that it encourages you and others to be more open about what's going on in their life? My apologies. I didn't silence my phone. Listen, our culture has this idea that my sin is mine, my life is mine, and it's none of your business, right? But what happens when we live that way? We create a fake culture around us. of everybody smiling, acting like everything's okay, and it's not. And by keeping those things to ourselves, we're making a, a fake culture of perfection. 
And that's not who we are. Scripture says very clearly in Romans and in a lot of other places that we are all sin and we fall short of the glory of God. And so why would we as the church, if we know, if Scripture says that we are all sinners, why would we try to pretend to be something else? It's not sustainable and it's not healthy. But when we share our struggles, we create a culture of authenticity, a culture of love, a culture of forgiveness. And the body's built up because we're being real about what's going on in our lives and in our hearts. And we're laying that out for people. And when we hold on to that stuff, we're walling ourselves off to the very people that God has put in our life to walk with us in those struggles. We're choosing to not use the resources that God's given us. So John starts this chapter off by telling the church exactly why he's writing. In verse 1 he says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is righteous. Now we know that our goal in life is not to sin, right? You should nod your heads yes. We should know that that's our goal, to be more like Christ. And as we're growing in our relationship with Him, being made in His likeness, we're ridding ourselves of that sin nature because we are becoming new creations, right? A little bit of us is leaving and a little bit of His coming in. And so we're getting better, right? I feel much better. There you go. Until we're made perfect, we still live in sin. But John is reminding the church that Jesus is advocating. He's pleading before the Father on our behalf. John also makes this distinction that Jesus isn't pleading on our behalf alone, but on behalf of everyone. So this isn't just about me, and it's not just about you. It's about all of us. It's about every person on earth. All are included in the provision. We're going to circle back around to this in a minute. But with so much controversy going on in the church today, how is the world supposed to know what it means to live in the light, as we talked about last week? Do you remember us having that conversation about how um, there's often, I'm going to highlight this real quick so I can come back to it later. Often, we have people, I had a guy last week who sent me a text message about a, a denomination that's splitting. And so people are looking at the church to try to understand who Jesus is, which is our purpose, right? Colossians chapter 3, where it says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. We are God's messengers to the people. And so when people look at the church and they say division and they see brokenness, they go, this is not a God that I'm interested in. Each of us individually must allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate our lives and then make the necessary changes. And we begin that process by asking ourselves, are we even living in the light? And the question, as it turns out to that, the, the answer to that is very simple. In verse 3, John says this, and we can be sure that we know Him if we obey His commandments. You want to know if you're living in the light? Do you obey His commandments? John makes it very clear. Are you obeying the things that God has commanded? We cannot go and we cannot do the things that God is calling us to do if we don't move beyond this point. We've talked about this a lot. But this is the hinge in which everything falls. We either choose to obey God or we choose not to. And the choice is up to us. God's not going to force Himself upon us. But if you want to know if you're living in the light, do you obey God's commands? If we're just going through the motions, if we're just playing church, we're not obeying His commands. It's imperative that I point out there's two things about this statement that we often get backwards. Okay, hang with me on this. We often get this backwards. Obedience is a result, not a function of grace. Obedience is a result, not a function of grace. We often try to imitate obedience. And thereby making it a function of our relationship with God. But it's not going to be lasting. 
The easiest way for me to, to help you understand that is to point to New Year's resolutions. Raise your hand if you've made a re- New Year's resolution. Not this year. I'm not calling anybody out. Ever. Okay. We all, how did it turn out? Yeah. All of us the same way. We try to change who we are by manipulating our behavior and it doesn't work. So why would we apply that logic to our spiritual lives? Why would we put before ourselves a set of rules and say, I'm going to live this way so that I can be one of God's children? We know it's not going to work. We know it by experience. Years ago, we made a New Year's resolution, Bethany and I, that we wouldn't start any new projects at the house until we completed the ones we had already started. That was about 10 a.m. We're drinking coffee. It's a great morning. By like noon, we were building a new fire pit in the front yard. Our track record is not great. All of us are in that same place. Compare that to the change that happens in our lives because of love. This is the example I can think of this year, and my kids are going to go back and ask my dad about this later, and it's going to be really fun. But my dad tells a story about when he and my mom first started dating. It wasn't long into their relationship that my mom informed my dad that if he ever wanted to kiss her, he had to stop dipping. If you don't know what dipping is, it's when you put tobacco in your cheek. Oh, I just, you're not from Grant Parish. You may not have experienced that before. Okay? Sometimes the girls do it too. It's gross. That's only if you live in Deville, though. Not hating on my Deville people. I love them. Okay? So my mom tells my dad, if you ever want to kiss me, you, you can't dip. Period. Okay? To this day, I've never seen my dad with a dip in his mouth. Hadn't happened. What was his motivation? Because my mom told him he couldn't? They weren't even married yet. No, his motivation was he wanted that relationship. And something happened in his heart. And he said, if this lady's really important to me, I need to make this change in my life. And the love was the motivation. Not because somebody told him he had to. These are not perfect examples, but they point to the heart of what John is trying to say. If we're obeying the commandments as a result of the love that we are experiencing in our lives, we can be sure that we know Him. John gives a warning concerning this idea. And we're going to see him repeat this warning one more time and then give another before this chapter is done. But in verse 4 he says, If someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandment, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. That's some pretty harsh language, but it can't be more cut and dry than that. If someone says that they are... They are obeying God's commandments. If they say, I know God, but they're not obeying, they don't know God because if they did, they would be obeying. John creates this really great juxtaposition in his explanation of this idea. He goes on to say in verse 5 and 6, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is, how we know we are living in him. Those that say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So we see these two opposite ideas. We have one person who says, I know God, but they don't follow His commandments. And then we have another that says, I know God, and they live like Jesus did. And John's saying the second one is the one that really knows God. John is giving us an incredible tool here. Remember, the leaders of the church wrote to John and said, how do we deal with this situation? Now, we don't know the contents of that letter. But it seems evident that they're not only asking how to handle it, but they're also having some doubts about what they believe themselves. They're questioning their own beliefs as a result of these deceivers. And John shows them how to discern between those things that God is saying is true and those that are pretending to know God and speak His truth. And so as we look at these passages, for me there's an obvious question that we must ask. If Jesus says, if John is saying, if you love me, obey my commandments, 
What are the commandments? What are those things that we're called to do? I'm glad you asked. Look at me with the next section. This is verses 7 through 14. He says, Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one that you had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard from before. Yes, it is also new. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing and true light is already shining. If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. I'm writing to you who are God's children, because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in faith, because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in faith, because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children, because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Now if John's not a preacher, I don't know who he is. There's a poem for you right there. John's reminding them of what they've heard from the beginning and how they saw Jesus live these commandments out in his daily life. He's saying, guys, this was not that long ago. He's pointing to what we studied last year in the book of Exodus when, when God's people are on the mountain and God delivers His law. And He says, love the Lord your God. And then Jesus later summarizes the last half of those Ten Commandments and says, and love your neighbor as yourself. In these things, the whole law is wrapped up in. So point number two for today is that we live in the light by loving one another. We live in the light by loving one another. And for us too, this is not a new commandment. We talk about these often and for good reason. Have you ever noticed that the things that we talk about the most come directly from this commandment? We talk about um, abiding. What is that? It's loving God. We talk about blessing. We talk about being committed to community. We talk about joining God to set others free. That's loving our neighbors. The reason we keep talking about these things is because this is what's most important. When Jesus is asked, what are the greatest commandments? He said, love God and love one another. In church, that's why we keep talking about it. There's a theme that we see in living in the kingdom of God. And that theme is dying to ourselves and allowing Christ to live through us. These commandments have never changed and they're not about to. Until Jesus comes back, our call is to get better and better at loving God and one another. In verse 8, he says, Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. And you also are living it, for the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. Jesus lived the example for us. He revealed what it looks like for us to walk and to live in the light. By living as he did, he spread light into a very dark world. And here again, we see John giving the same warning that he gave in the previous passages in verse 9 and 11. He says, if anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. 
John's making sure that the church fully understands how to distinguish between those that are living in the light and those that are living in the darkness. And that's an incredible resource for us. We need to heed John's warning, but we also need to use that warning and evaluate our own lives because it's easy to look at other people's sin and to point some fingers. But we need to take these same ideas and look at our own lives and ask the Holy Spirit to address the sin that's in us. And to not allow the Spirit to, to do so, John is saying, is to live in darkness. If we're not willing to allow the Holy Spirit to look in us and reveal sin, then we are choosing not to live in the light, but to live in the darkness. And in that verse 12 through 14, where John reads that poem, he says, I'm writing to you who are God's children, because your sins have been given through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in faith, because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in faith because you've won the battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in faith because, God, because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won the battle against the evil one. John wants to see the blessing that they've received as believers. Listen to the things he says. He says their sins have been forgiven. They know the one who was from the beginning, which is Jesus. And because of the relationship with God, they are strong and have overcome the evil one. That's some great perks to a relationship. But John also wants to make sure that he, is, and he wants them to understand, he is writing to all of them, the whole church. John references children. He references those that are mature. He references those that are young. But his references are not to their level of maturity, but rather their age. This message is for any believer, regardless of how old they are. And this is important because the tendency that we have is to hold different expectations for people than we hold for ourselves. John is saying that the expectation is the same for everyone. It doesn't matter how old they are. The truth and the commandments don't apply differently based on our age. The application is the same across the board, whether you're 7 or you're 70. The application is the same. By our nature, we tend to look at others around us and have expectations based on our varying criteria that we decide what the criteria is. John is clearly stating that we need to hold the same expectations for ourselves and for others because that's how God sees us. He doesn't see us as different. We use our self-imposed inferiority as an excuse for why we aren't called to do the same thing as others that are quote-unquote closer to God, right? Those exclusions don't exist in God's eyes and they should not exist in ours. God has the same expectation for every person in our church and every person in the world to love Him and to love one another. Period. I don't know about you, but as I grew up in church, that was not my reality or the reality of anyone I knew. We looked at the pastors, we looked at the staff, and we thought that it was their job to do the work of the ministry. That somehow their calling was higher and therefore required more effort and sacrifice than the rest of us churchgoers. And if you'll notice, John does not tell the church to go hire some professional staff to handle this problem. He addresses the church. I'd like to say that we aren't like that here at TGP, but that's only something you can say for yourself. When you look around the room, what are your expectations that you have for people? Are they different from what you hold for yourself? Look, I'm not in your head. But all of us need to understand that we've been given the same commandments. And do you realize what that means for us? 
As a body, it means that we cannot live like the world and prioritize what the world does and be followers of Jesus at the same time. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24, you're familiar with this passage. You've heard it a lot. It says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if, and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Listen, we cannot waste our time chasing the things that culture chases. It's one or the other. And you have to decide for yourself which is more important. Our American culture says that chasing the dream is serving God. But I don't see that in Scripture. Our American culture says that it is our God-given right that we're born with the right to chase the American dream. I don't see that in Scripture. Jesus says the opposite, and John repeats it. In verses 15 through 17 in 1 John chapter 2, he says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from, the, from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Listen, we're going to really dig into this idea a lot more over the next year. And we're going to really digest what that means for us personally, but also corporately. But we need to spend some time this week asking God what this means for, for you individually. How does this change ministry for you? God is telling us that we are to live for Him. If we're living in the light, we're obeying His commandments. We are walking as He walked. So the last point I want to make today is that living in the light, or we live in the light by being faithful. We live in the light by being faithful. In this last section, John turns from encouragement and exhortation to warning. And you can feel him make the corner as we move into this next session. Read with me in verses 18 through 27. He says, Dear children, the last hour is here. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches, but they, were, they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. But you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you His Spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life He promises us. I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. 
But you have received the Holy Spirit and He lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know and what He teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as He taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. John is drawing a line in the sand. And he's clearly stating that these men are not a part of their church body. And they never have been. But he encourages them that they do not need to fear that they were going to fall into the same trap because the Holy Spirit lives inside of them and is going to reveal truth to them. As I was studying this week, I made a note that there was a point in my life where I was very guarded about who I would read and who I would listen to because I was scared to death that I was going to get a theology in me that didn't match up with what we taught as a church or what I believed about God. And I lived in fear. And so I would ask people like, hey, who are you reading? What are you reading right now? And I would just go read that because it felt safe. But as I matured, I realized, hey, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. If I'm reading or listening to something that doesn't match up with Scripture, the Holy Spirit has the ability to go, hey, Will, that's not me. We all have that. Every one of us. You see, we have the, the truth living inside of us, and it's going to help us to discern what is true and what is a lie. And I feel like I need to take a sidebar right here and, and make the distinction between discernment and judgment. Think about this for a moment. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to discern what is truth and what is lie. Discernment is truth as revealed by the Holy Spirit. Judgment is an opinion that is derived from our comparison of one another. Now those are Will's definitions, that's not Webster. But I want you to consider that. When we are discerning something, it's the Holy Spirit speaking. When I'm judging, it's me speaking. And there's a vast difference between the two. The Holy Spirit that's living inside of us gives us eyes to see what's truth as we are being made into His likeness. And John is saying that we don't need to live in fear, but to live in faith that's informed by what we have experienced from the beginning. Our faith is built upon all these experiences with God. And it makes us who we are. And that's how we remain in fellowship with God. This fellowship is how we enjoy living in the kingdom right now. The kingdom is not something that's going to happen when we die. We live in the kingdom now. And we are surrounded by lies and the schemes of the enemy who's constantly trying to rob us of joy and twist the things that God has said to make it seem like something else. But we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And as we talked about last week, that as we share what God's doing in our lives, we get a steady reminder from our fellow believers of who God is and what He's doing. Our joy cannot be stolen when life gets hard because we will not allow others to forget how good God is. At the beginning of this in the introduction, I talked about how crazy my week has been. And I wanted to share a little bit of that with you guys. I've had conversations with a lot of different people this week who are struggling with a lot of different things. And as I've prayed with them, as I've met with them, my heart aches with them. I showed you guys that last week. I don't know if you've, if you've, if you've felt it from me, but when we've had conversations, like, like when I say my heart's breaking, like it's, it's heavy. Like there were several times this week I would come home and Bethany would be like, are you okay? Yeah, relatively, I'm okay. But the people that I love are not. And this is hard. And we went through that every day this week and Thursday night we're standing in the kitchen lamenting about the things that are going on in people's lives and having conversation about it, about the things that we're praying for. And I told Bethany, it just kind of dawned on me, I wouldn't trade this life for anything. 
even though there's this heaviness, this is good. This week I had to go measure a store. Um, if you don't know that, I, I design and I build gas stations. That's part of my job at Petron. And one of my best customers had a store that had an F-250 drive in the front door and out the back center block wall. He jumped a curb and the only thing that stopped him was some pine trees and he was still in the air when he hit them. He went into a diabetic coma while driving his truck. His body went rigid and he just drove right through the store. He's fine. But the 19-year-old that was standing behind the counter is not. She's going to spend doctor's best guesses a month and a half in the hospital. Now, I don't know this girl. But as I'm measuring the store, I look down and I'm standing in a puddle of her blood. The Holy Spirit in me just cringes. Because her life will never be the same. Now, I don't want those emotions. I'm not going around looking for sadness to put on me, right? Nobody does that. And I'm certainly not. But there was heartache. The employees that worked at that store were devastated. And these are people that I have relationships with. And I didn't ask for that. But it was incredible to be a, be a part of that and to help them to grieve and to try to make sense of what's going on in their life. That's not on the list of qualifications of how to design a gas station, in case you're wondering. But that was my role that day, or two days. It's been a hard week, but I would not trade it for anything in the world. There is something incredible, mysterious, I don't know how to describe it, but I was telling somebody this morning, there's just this underlying feeling of joy, even in the midst of that hardness. And I can't make sense of it, but I know it. And I know where it comes from. As followers of Jesus, we are the children of God and we're the citizens of His kingdom. And I know this is a lot today, but I want to leave you with this thought as we end. This was in one of my devotions yesterday morning. This is, it's a devotion I read called the first 15. It says, Scripture clearly, it says clearly that to achieve victory over your mind, it must be continually renewed by the power of God's Word. Romans 12, 2 states, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God puts conforming to the world and being transformed by the renewal of your mind in opposition. There is no gray area. Your mind is either being won for the kingdom of God or lost to the world. You are either thinking of pleasing, you are either thinking pleasing thoughts to God or not. You are either experiencing the abundant life Jesus made available to you or not. And the author says, for a long time the idea of renewing my mind felt exhausting. Honestly, Reading the Bible was incredibly boring for me. But I discovered that the Bible is the only, it, the Bible is only as life-giving to me as I am willing to be transformed by it. We are God's people. And we claim His name. And He says, I want you to do two things. To love God and to love one another. And because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we are good at those things. But we are not there yet. And we need to continue to grow. I'm so excited about what God's got for this year because we're going to grow. We're going to understand God better. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to help us to understand ourselves better. And it's going to change our lives and it's going to change the lives of people around us. 
But that only happens if we're, if we're allowing ourselves to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. The only way that we can live in the light is to be made into Jesus' likeness. The word is clear that we are all called to love God and to love one another. So let's do this together. Let's live as citizens in the kingdom of God, living by God's agenda and not the world's. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for such um, a challenging week, but for the joy that you've allowed me to experience as I've walked with my brothers and sisters who are struggling. God, it would be foolish for us to try to define what one another's lives would look like, what next week is going to look like, what tomorrow is going to look like. But God, we know that you are not surprised by any of the events that are going on in our life. God, it is my heart, it is my hope, it is my desire, it is my prayer for myself and for my people that we would be drawn to you, that we would be drawn to one another by your Holy Spirit and that we could love you and love one another in such a way that we are made into your likeness. Not because we're trying really hard, but because we can't help it because of the love that we have for you. God, for those that are struggling in this room tonight, whatever, whatever's going on in their lives, God, I ask that you would give them peace. That you would allow them to experience the joy that your word says that you give to your believers. Even in the midst of struggle. Even in the midst of tragedy. Father, I pray that you would send men and women that know you into their lives. And that you would allow them to share the burdens of one another. And that they could know you through that process. And that you could be made known. Father, this is our goal, this is our desire, this is you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.